and welcome to Series 4 of the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcasts. It's now two years since the first ever podcast went out and we've covered many issues, interviewed patients, families, nurses, surgeons, oncologists, researchers, dietitians, charity workers and fundraisers, all sharing their experiences, knowledge and wisdom. This series opens with special episodes for Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. This year we are focusing on palliative and end-of-life care, which holds some special challenges given the current survival rates for the disease. We have a lineup of wonderful people for the months to come. We are pleased that this year the podcast will be in support of all four pancreatic cancer charities, Pancreatic Cancer UK, Pancreatic Cancer Action, Pancreatic Cancer Research Fund and the Elizabeth Coatman Fund. If you listen to the podcast, please subscribe, share and help others understand more about this disease, its impact, the current survival rates and the hope for change in the future. The Purple Rainbow podcast is made in memory of Seth Goodburn and it's a part of Seth's legacy. Hello and welcome to June's episode of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. I'm Charlotte Foster and this month I've been chatting to Siobhan McKay. Siobhan is a junior doctor in pancreatic and liver surgery and she's currently working on a study called Contact Study COVID-19 Impact on Pancreatic Cancer Care Pathway, a national pan-speciality multi-centre study of the impact of COVID-19 on the diagnosis and treatment of patients with pancreatic cancer. Yes, that is a long title. It's basically about how the pandemic has affected pancreatic cancer patients. And I began the conversation by asking Siobhan all about the study. This is absolutely fantastic to have Leslie on board with us, actually, because it gives a real patient um, kind of care a voice. And um, so working with a group of um, clinicians working with pancreatic cancer, um, we identified a real problem during the first phase of the pandemic with COVID that pancreatic cancer patients were essentially getting neglected. Um, so they weren't receiving the treatment they should receive. They weren't getting diagnosed as quickly as they would have been diagnosed. And no one really knew what the impact of that was. I mean, no one knew at that time point how long the pandemic was going to last for. And if patients were being turned down for treatments that they would have had in ordinary time, um, what would be the impact of that down the line? Um, and so I think as a group of clinicians and, and with people like Leslie, we came together and said, well, we need to work out what the current state of play is so we can predict what the problems are going to be in the future. And if this should continue to, to happen, how we can try to get a strategy to mitigate you know, the huge risk that we're seeing really to cancer patients, because essentially, you know, services were completely paralysed. And quite rightly, because patients had COVID, um, but pancreatic cancer patients, if they have an operation, they need an ITU bed and you can't go in an ITU bed if there's COVID patient in there. Um, So, yeah, it was to answer that question, really, what's happening um, and what areas do we need to focus resources? You mentioned that um, pancreatic cancer patients were basically not ignored. Ignored isn't quite the right word, is it? But they were basically just not being looked at. Do you think it was an, a specific to pancreatic cancer or was, was it more, more generalised? So it was all cancer patients. It was yeah. all patients who didn't, you know, who didn't have COVID. 
The problem is with pancreatic cancer, because it's so aggressive and it's so rapidly progressive, within a number of you know, weeks and months, you can go from, from being a patient who could have an operation to a patient who couldn't. And you're essentially giving someone a complete death sentence rather than a chance of a cure. So with other cancer types, though it is devastating not to receive timely treatment, the actual long-term impact is not as significant for such a large proportion of that population. It's such a difficult thing though, isn't it? it you know, like you said, uh, a pancreatic cancer patient having an operation needs an ITU bed, but if there wasn't an ITU bed because that could be taken up by the COVID patients, then, you know, that's diff- it's devastating for, for everybody. I don't, I don't think anyone wants to make that decision, do they? Absolutely. And, and it's not just that a COVID patient's taking up the bed. It's that if you catch COVID when you have an operation, so within from the time point of the operation and then in the first 30 days after the operation, if you catch COVID having had that major surgery, the initial data suggested a quarter of people died. So you've gone from having, you know, three in 100 people dying um, after pancreatic surgery to 25 in 100 people dying if they get COVID. And that's an unacceptable risk. Um, so that, you know, they re- needed real service change to make it safe and make sure that patients could get treatment that they needed. So you're looking at the impact of the pandemic on pancreatic cancer treatments and, and patients. Obviously, the pandemic's still ongoing and there's so much uncertainty, you know, as we go on, even though there's also a little bit of hope as well. What do you want? What do you hope to gain from this study? So. Well, so it's a retrospective look back at what happened. Um, So we're looking back at comparing to what was normal in 2019 to to what happened in the first phase of the pandemic in 2020, and then looking a year on to see in that year what happened. So did patients receive the the treatments they they should have received? And if they didn't, if they received non-standard treatments, what was the impact of that? We're never going to put people in clinical trials to give them what we don't think is best care. But what happened because of COVID as a consequence is people had quite different treatments that you wouldn't have had outside a trial setting. So we believe there was a lot more use of chemoradiotherapy when there never would have been um, in the pre-COVID era. So what's the impact of that for patients? So there's there's two, two streams of work, really. It's identifying what happened to people and how can we make sure that doesn't happen again? But also, did these alternative treatments actually, were they positives or negatives? And could that then lead to further research that could improve things in the future? So there could be a positive outcome from this. And the only way to work it out is to have a look. That sounds fascinating to think that I know everyone keeps focusing on the negative side of, of the pandemic and the fact that people weren't treated in the way that they would normally be treated or, you know, all the, all the, bad stuff that happened but actually it like you say you would never put someone in a a position where they may not get an optimal result so actually having this happen and having this data could be really useful for you yeah, absolutely. And so we're coming to a really exciting phase of the study um, because within the two, next two weeks, we should be closing completely. Um, and uh, then the exciting stuff happens that we get to analyse the data and, and bring the reports together and actually let people know what, what the results are. So over the coming kind of month, really, we're, we've got some really exciting phase of analysis. So when you say you're coming to close the study, what do you, what do you mean by that for someone who, like me, has no idea about this sort of stuff? <laughs> 
So studies go through through a number of phases. Um, so first you have to come up with the, the question, what's the important question? Um, and so we brought together a, a group of clinicians and patients and said, what is, what is important? What do we need to know? Because there's a lot of research that's happened out there. And what we found was a big knowledge gap. So there was lots of studies looking at surgical patients. Um, and there were studies looking at oncology patients, that's patients who have chemotherapy and radiotherapy that got COVID, but there was no one just looking at everyone else. So if you just had pancreatic, say just, if you had pancreatic cancer, but you were never going to have an operation or you had pancreatic cancer and you, you didn't have chemo and get COVID, they didn't look at you. Well, that's actually the vast majority of patients. Um, so we found a, a real gap of knowledge there. So, so we came together with a research question. Um, we then designed the study um, and then brought in brought in the rest of the community to say if they, they had equipoise with the study. And then we had to launch it. And then the launch phase takes, um, you know, a number of weeks to months really to recruit the, the centres. And it's been fantastic. The recruitment and data um, entry phase has been probably over the last six months. And what we've done over that six months, we've actually recruited over 150 sites in the UK to enter data. So there's only about 20 or 30 hospitals in the United Kingdom that aren't covered by, by this study. So it's an amazing achievement to think at a time that COVID's putting so much stress and strain on the healthcare service, the clinicians are still wanting to contribute this data because they think it's really important. Um, and because we have a one year follow up, we reached that time point in, in, in May. And so now we can basically close the study down because we can say, right, you've got this last few weeks to enter all the cases in. And then we can clean the data and hand it over to our statisticians to, to start giving us the exciting bit, which is the results. Yeah, I'm glad I don't have to be that statistician. I'm not very good at statistics. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a lot of work, but a really potentially exciting work as well. Yeah, so it's going to look at, uh, there's a lot of different questions within the study. So um, one, one of the questions is, you know, who got treatment? So, so whether a, a group of people who just got no treatment at all, and what we found from our, our initial study, so we did a survey of the 28 pancreatic cancer centres in the UK. And what we actually found is there was a whole cohort of patients who were being offered no treatment at all, that before the pandemic would have been offered treatment. So if you were... Um, of an older age, so in your late 70s, early 80s, or had any history of respiratory disease, a significant proportion of centres in the United Kingdom would offer you no treatment at all, not even palliative chemotherapy. They just said the risk is too high during COVID, you're getting nothing. Whereas before COVID, all of those patients would have at least been offered palliative chemotherapy. So, um, so one thing we'll do is, did, did patients get completely neglected, which sounds terrible but did they get offered nothing because of the fear that if you immunocompromise someone with chemotherapy that the risk of covid is so high um and then were there you know what different treatments were patients offered so was we also have found um kind of anecdotal comments from clinicians that patients that would have been offered operations were not offered operations at all because they were just worried about the risk of surgery and then the way that people were offered treatment, the kind of the pathway to treatment was, was completely changed as well. So before you would have gone straight to surgery and now they put people um, through to chemotherapy and radiotherapy first and then, then to surgery afterwards. But the concern was that we had the first phase of the pandemic and then we had the second phase. So are those patients that had the chemotherapy in the first phase when you would have had an operation, did they ever get to their operation because of the stress on the second phase? Um, so, so there's going to be so many different um, nuances of the pathway and it will be really good to understand what's happened there. 
Um, what has also happened is different hospitals have developed different what we call green pathways or COVID light pathways to safeguard patients within their treatment pathway. So, um, so that you could get that um, you are isolated for 14 days before you receive treatment, have a COVID test come in and you can be treated. And um, so that was a way of, of some centres getting, getting patients treated. But we don't know nationally what the use of those pathways were. It wasn't a nationwide um, institution of, of, a, of a process. So it would be quite helpful to be able to see what services were offered in different regions and different countries and which patients we think probably got the best deal. So if things should happen again, we can say, well, actually this, this region had an exceptional service. Let's use that as the model um, if we should have further compromises. Yeah, exactly. That sounds really good. I mean, I'm guessing you guys have heard lots of stuff anecdotally and seen within yourselves anecdotally what, you know, about stuff was happening because you wouldn't do a study about it if you hadn't already seen it sort of thing. You, you know, there's, there's a, it, it comes from a seed of an idea, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not saying make a prediction, but what, what do you think your gut is telling you is going to be the picture that you start to see or start to start to form? So we, from our survey of services that we did, I think that gave us a a really good hint. So um, what we actually found is that we had clinicians were were more risk averse. So they were less willing to to push the envelope for the patient because they were worried, quite rightly worried about the impact of COVID and what that would mean if a patient had a very big operation and and then got COVID. So we actually found that during an operation, patients were less likely to be really pushed um, interoperatively to get a curative operation. So there was a much lower threshold for aborting an operation. So usually um, about seven to eight percent of patients are found during an operation to not have operable disease. And during the pandemic, 25 percent of the patients were found to not have operable disease. Now, is that because it took longer to get there? because the pathway to diagnosis was longer? Or is it actually that the clinicians felt that they didn't want to do a bigger, riskier operation that would require potentially longer an ITU with an increased risk of exposure to COVID? Um, So that will be really interesting to look at and see, was it risk aversion or was it disease progression that was the reason for that? Um, And we also found that all services were impacted at the beginning from diagnostics. So people can get through to get CT scans or endoscopic um, interventions for diagnosis and for gaining biopsies. Um, But also the chemotherapy units were kind of almost closed down, as were surgical services. So we know that in the very first few weeks of the pandemic, almost everything was completely shut and then things recovered. Then in the second phase of the pandemic, the other services such as oncology managed to maintain services, but surgery again was completely crippled because they needed that ITU service. Um, so, So we know that surgical patients probably that were delayed in the first phase by being given chemo instead of upfront surgery, probably then didn't receive their surgery because of the second phase. Um, So I think what we're gonna see is a real, real impact on those potentially resectable patients. So patients who could have had potentially curative operations may never have progressed through the pathway at all, um, which is terribly sad. Obviously, no one's wishing a repeat experience of any of what we've been through the last 18 months or so. But clearly, stuff might happen again that you might say, you know, it compromises the NHS, it compromises, you know, or, you know, issues that are out there. What do you hope the learning is from all of this? So I think we'll be able to quantify um, the impact of COVID of pancreatic cancer patients. 
And I think by quantifying it, by having a number of this many patients had disease progression that never should have happened. This many patients didn't receive operations that they shouldn't have had, you know, they should have had. This many patients didn't receive optimal chemotherapy. And the consequence was, and, and it's, you know, we don't know, but we suspect that a whole um, raft of patients have died earlier than they should have done. Um, that come a further phase of the pandemic, we can go to NHS England and say, you need to ring fence us some services, some funding, some capacity to ensure this doesn't happen because the disease progression is so rapid with pancreatic cancer. Oh, Siobhan, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. And when you get those results, when you've had all the statisticians, I can't even say it. That, that's how much I love statistics. I can't even say, say statisticians. <laughs> stati- I'm, I'm giving up. When you get the results in and if you had the data analysed, right, please come back on and, and tell us a little bit more about it and, and you know, and what you found, because I think it'd be really interesting to hear, hear those results and sort of understand the impact. And, and I know COVID's had a devastating impact on so many people from, you know, people losing people to to covid and like you say this this knock-on impact as well and i think it's going to take many years for us to realize what covid has done to to the world really isn't it absolutely i mean covid's been devastating for everyone for many reasons and what we need to do is make sure that moving forwards we can lessen that impact in every single area of healthcare. Um, and so if we can identify those patients that are most at risk and then try and ring fence some of those services to make sure we can protect them um, and give as best a treatment as we can to as many patients as possible then hopefully further phases of pan- this pandemic or other pandemics in the future will not be so devastating for so many people. Thank you so much to Siobhan for having a chat with us this month. It was really good talking to her and I don't think any of us are even half surprised at some of the concerns and the worries that prompted the start of that study. I'm looking forward to hearing the results of that study and what they've come up with and also the learning from it as well. I think that's really important. We need to learn from all of what's been thrown at us over the last 18 months or so. So definitely we will catch up with Siobhan when that all comes in. As always, please do stay in touch with us here at Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. You can do that by going to our website, purplerainbow.co.uk. Until next time, look after yourself.